Hello and welcome to the In Squash podcast. I'm your host Jerry Gibson, and today we are delighted to have on the the man who led the uh, led Team Canada at the Pan Am Games recently in Peru, and they came away with an impressive uh, medal haul of uh, se- uh, several medals. They reached the podium in six of seven events. Uh, he's also a former top uh, four player in the world. Uh, several years in the top 10, six-time national uh, champion of Scotland, and currently uh, also the head coach uh, of the Rochester Yellow Jackets. Uh, he's been in that role uh, since 2008. I'm talking about none other than Martin Heath, uh, and we have a really, uh, really interesting, really enjoyable uh, chat. Um, he had an incredible pro career, as you all know, and uh, back in the uh, Back in the day, back in the glory days of the Nicol Power, Palmer, White, uh, Heath era, uh, he was one of the one of the guys that we all uh, enjoyed watching. He had a great style, unique style of play, very uh, very uh, fun to watch, and uh, just moved around the court effortlessly, I, I would say, and moved the ball around the court in that way as well. Um, and his career ended. He parlayed that uh, into uh, started his own coaching uh, career. Uh, he had several gigs, but uh, he's become most prolific, I think, when he moved uh, stateside and uh, started coaching a little bit with the U.S. Uh, uh, national team there and then uh, was hired by the uh, Rochester Yellow Jackets, and he's been in that role since, uh, I believe, 2008. And most recently, uh, luckily for Canadians, uh, he took on a position as the elite uh, squash, elite program squash uh, director. Uh, I'm not sure if that's the correct uh, name for the role, but it's something like that. And uh, he's been there now for uh, approximately two years, and most recently took the uh, guided the team to a very successful Pan Am Games. And uh, that's exactly what we talk about on the podcast today, how he felt uh, the thi- that things went during the games uh, for both the men's and women's sides. We also talk uh, a fair bit about uh, his role at Rochester and uh, what that brings with it. Now that he's been in that role for several uh, years, how he's grown as a coach and what he's learned over the years uh, in that role and how things are uh, uh, shaping up for this season uh, and also just uh, discussing a few few of the top players uh, at Rochester currently. He's got several that are, that are uh, doing very well uh, nationally. One, I think, um, who went undefeated last year uh, at the number one position all the way up until the, uh, the final uh, event. So he's got a, a team that, that really looks uh, like they're going to uh, contend again uh, this year. And then we also, of course, we... Uh, I'd be remiss not to take, uh, ask him to take a look back at his pro career. And uh, I talk a fair bit with him about uh, Peter Nickel and the impact he had on, on him as a player and on the game as a whole, uh, and uh, much, much more. So sit back and enjoy this one. Martin Heath on episode 101. Today we're uh, really happy to have on uh, he spent a guy who spent t- uh, six years in the top ten and reached number four in 1999. He's a six-time Scottish, uh, Scottish uh, national champion. Uh, just finished off um, at the Pan Am Games as the, the elite performance director for Canada, led the team to uh, six medals. And uh, he's also head coach at Rochester for the Yellow Jackets, who uh, finished fourth in the nation last year. Martin Heath uh, is my guest. Martin, it's great to uh, have you back on. Hey, Jerry. How you doing? Uh, great, man. Great. And uh, you're back uh, uh, in North America now uh, after a bit of time overseas? That's right, yeah. Obviously in Lima for the Pan American Games. Spent a few days thereafter with my son, just touring around, going to some nice restaurants. But um yeah, that's it. Back, back to the grind now. Yeah, this everything gets pretty busy now. Back to the grind. So I guess um, I, I was just listening to one of my uh, favorite podcasts, a sports podcast, earlier, and uh, one of the guys that was interviewed was a, um, I think it's a football NCAA football coach, and he was saying how uh, how he's involved in the recruiting very heavily right now. Is that something that uh, I'm not sure how it goes for for squash coaches? In terms of recruiting, but is this the season for that, or is that a is that a sort of a all year sort of year round kind of thing? I mean, it's kind of all year rounds. I mean, we're I mean, I suppose lucky and unlucky in some ways is that you know if you're a football coach, you're 
you know, you're trying to recruit probably, you know, 20 to 30 people. And, you know, that's, that's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of people that you're looking at kind of one in 10, maybe depending on what kind of school you are, maybe one in 10, maybe one in 20 that you're actually going to be successful with. So you got to talk to a lot of people with squash. It's a little bit more targeted. Yeah. Uh, you can, you know, you know, the type of players that are going to end up, you know, academically and, and uh, you know, the standard wise and, you know, just whether their characters fit and all these kind of things. And uh, so it's a little bit more targeted than something like football. But at the same time, there's such a small group of people that, you know, if you don't get the kind of people that you want, then it's, uh, it's tough. And, you know, once you miss a, a recruiting year or two, you get, it takes four years to cycle that out. So, uh, right. you know, it's, it's challenging, but... Um, it's uh, you know if you get it right then that's obviously it's the biggest part of collegiate sports actually is success in collegiate sports you know it's get, just getting the right people in right on well I'm going to revisit that a little bit uh, later on when we talk about uh, how things went uh, last season for you at Rochester but I'd like to uh, first take a look at the uh, uh, talk about the Pan Am Games results which uh, it was amazing you guys uh, I think you reached uh, six out of seven podiums and if you do the math I think uh, Every teammate, every Canadian player, anyways, went home with uh, at least two medals. Uh, so that, that's impressive uh, in and of itself. So uh, you're the man behind the, the the team, basically. So how happy were you uh, with the performance uh, at the Pan Am Games? I mean, you always come up when when you don't get golds. You're always coming away, and you feel like you're missing something. I suppose. I mean, that's kind of. Uh, so in terms of expectations, you know, and, and, you know, just rational expectations, we're looking at it and we're like, yeah, we played above ourselves, definitely. I mean, and uh, we knew that it was possible to get some good results, but we just keep, we kept on, you know, winning these matches, these kind of 50-50 matches. And that's really what mm -hmm. you want in any, any kind of arena. You want to come through those tough ones. Uh, you know, maybe one against Colombia, the men against Colombia and the team, we thought we had a shot there. Mm -hmm. You know, that was maybe a little bit disappointing um, because I think, I think if, uh, if we won at number two, then I think that we probably would have won at number three. And that would have given, you know, that, that's U.S. against Canada in the final of both events if we managed to do that. So, you know, that, I would say that's maybe the only disappointment of the whole event. I think uh, Nick Sackley and Sean Delier are getting through the, um, uh, the men's doubles uh, and really yeah. having a good run at the final. I mean, that was, that was so close and, you know, could have come away with the gold there. And I think that was a success. We just didn't really know, you know, how they were going to do. It was a little bit, and, you know, Sean had never played the forehand. Nick had really never played in the backhand. We tried them. They seemed like, you know, logically it seemed to make sense in terms of skills and, and um, things like that and have the ability to put the ball away. And their personalities sort of mesh too, because they're both sort of gregarious types of characters. I mean, obviously no one really, uh, matches up with uh, Sean in that way but uh, but Nick's certainly a, a pretty you know affable character himself so the two of them together made for I, I would say a pretty dynamic uh, pairing it was I mean it's the I mean I was really impressed with uh, with Nick's defense actually I mean that, that was one of the biggest things it's just you know the guy in the backhand side they're going to get caned most of the time and uh, that's just the nature of things. So his ability to be able to be under a huge amount of pressure, both players just hammering the ball at him at every angle, you know, and pace, and, and he handled that unbelievably well. And then Sean's obviously got the ability to put the ball away in the forehand side. So so it just, it meshed quite well. So we're quite happy about that, you know, in terms of choosing that team and then and then the success yeah. that they had. It was like definitely a success. Um you know the girls did really well in mm. uh, in the women's team event. I mean, obviously making the final was an expectation, but they actually played really well. I mean, maybe the scores uh, three love three love the first two matches, uh, but I mean they were incredibly tight. I mean, I oh, think yeah. Holly had such a good run against Amanda, and it was one of these matches where sort of like, oh, you know, it's you know you you wouldn't predict it obviously, but it's uh, you know Holly when she really wants it, and she's such a feisty character and such a great competitor, and she really wanted it, and it's uh, and it was very very close. It ended up being very close, and just a few points here and there. But you know that's obviously what separates you know top players from anyone else is their ability to be able to you know play well, and make the right choices in these big moments. And Amanda certainly showed that. But it was really impressive from Holly, and then Sam and Olivia had maybe the best match of the tournament. Oh, for sure, yeah. Yeah. Diego and um, Miguel in the final of the men's was a big one, but I think the after that I think it was a man. I think it was uh, Olivia and Sam, and both of them showed incredible grit. I mean, it was what was it twenty one nineteen one of the games, <laughs> yeah. was, and neither yeah. of them were relented. It was just great. I mean, it's just I mean, 
you know, as as any fans of sport, I suppose we just really enjoy that. And it's the and again, it was one of these situations where okay, Sam just she just went a couple of points at the right time. Then it might have been different, and then and then really then it would have brought uh, Danielle in. I mean, that and that's right. kind of. I feel a little bit sorry for Danielle in some way because she's such a great athlete, probably the best athlete uh, that we have. And, yeah. uh, you know, and she, yeah, she was works so hard at it too, doesn't she? Works so hard. She's got so much yeah. potential. You know, she really, she commit, she's committed herself to this and, and uh, you know, she's definitely improving. And so last year in Cayman Islands and then this year uh, in, in the Pan Ams in Lima, I mean, she just hasn't really had a chance to really uh, come through any, any big or play pressure matches. Um, so I'll, I'd like to see that. And I know that she has played some before, you know, when Graham Williams has been taking the team to Worlds and, and things like this. But I haven't seen her under that kind of, uh, in this, these kind of situations. So I, I hope that she gets that chance uh, at some point. I'm sure mm. she will. Uh, but, but from my point of view, it's like, okay, I just, you know, we just want to get her in that moment, you know, because she's such a great athlete. And, you know, when you're a great athlete, your movement's not that, that good. You know, you can, you have the ability to be able to adjust a little bit. And that's, uh, so you know, I have a lot of faith in her, and, and uh, I'd like to see her in those moments at some point. Yeah, definitely. I mean, my my takeaway from it was, I mean, uh, there was there were several very strong teams uh, in the event, including Jamaica. I mean, they they had a, a strong team as well. So for Canada to to medal uh, six out of seven uh, podium, reaching six out of seven podiums, I mean that that in and of itself is, is impressive. And then the women were always. They were going to be up against it. Amer- the American team uh, were, were very strong, and the guys just to uh, to do what they did uh, as well in, in all the events. It, it was impressive. So I, I would say it was a successful uh, event, despite was, not getting a gold, uh, like you said. It was several podiums, I think. I think they made it to every single podium. Oh, did they? Okay. Mixed women's doubles, men's doubles, uh, men's teams, women's teams. Oh no, the men's the men's singles. You're right. Men's That's singles, that. yeah. That's the one we didn't make, uh, which is obviously pretty tough. Yeah, that would have been that was going to be a tough ask, uh, but you never know. I mean, you know, Del Delier and, and Nick are both capable of uh, uh, of those wins. They've they've proven it uh, themselves, and and Nick's Nick's game really uh, took off this year. I think. Yeah, he's getting there. I mean, like I say, there was a little bit disappointing. I think he'll be disappointed as well with his performance against um, uh, Juan, uh, Juan Cav. What's his name? Um, can't remember his name for. Sorry, sorry, Juan. Uh, but uh, Vargas, Juan Vargas, yeah, number right, two. Right. Yeah. It was unbelievably well, and it's just he's he's on fire right now. Uh, but I think Nick. I mean, I've, I, so I managed to work quite a bit with Nick in in June and July, and you know, it seems as though he was getting somewhere, and he's. I mean, he's definitely his own man, right? So he's he's got his own ideas about, you know, he wants to feel a certain way on court. Well, you you know what that's all about, right? He's taking a page out of your book. <laughs> and you do, and you definitely want that. But, you know, you yeah. just, you still, at the same time, you want to be able to get through to them and, and kind of, you know, help them build those skills in whatever way, right? So, yeah. Um, yeah. So you know that was it was nice to work with him, and I think he's obviously got a little bit of uh, a little bit of work to do uh, in a few different areas. But he's definitely improving, and that's uh, it's great for Canadian squash to, to see that. So I think he'll take a bit of a jump over the next the next year or two, for sure. Um, and then be a great role model for the younger guys coming through that also want to have that experience uh, playing for Canada and playing playing PSA. That was um, that was one question I had for you. I mean, now you went with more. Uh, a sort of a senior, uh, uh, the elder statesman amongst the Canadian fellows at the, at the team uh, uh, for the event this time around. What do you see uh, coming up now in terms of some of the younger guys? You have uh, David uh, Ballard-Jean and, and some other younger guys, I guess, coming through. Uh, is there potential uh, coming up in the, amongst the Canadian, amongst the younger, younger male guys coming up? I mean, de- definitely. I mean, David is obviously, you know, he looks to be the, the sort of number one challenger right now. Um, I mean, he's he's been based over in Bristol and he's training with uh, Shobagi and people like that. And and so he's, you know, he's getting some great, he's getting some great advice. He's getting some like great sparring partners and um, and you can see in his game, he's definitely, you know, as, as in anything, it's a process and he's got some, he's got a couple of little areas that he needs to improve and, and you know, is improving, but I mean, in terms of his overall game and his, his length and his movement and position, I mean, he's, he's definitely proven. So, uh, yeah, I think he's, he's a great, uh, great prospect. Um, 
Uh, Cam Seth is is definitely improving. I think it's uh, you know wait and see what his plans are. It tends to be a little bit injury prone, but he's a very committed guy and yeah. uh, really enjoys it. I think he's going back to do his masters, but not with the intention that he's still going to compete. Uh, so we'll wait and see how how Cam keeps on improving. And and there's a bunch of young guys that are in college right now. Right. And right. but we don't really know. I mean, I think it's you know I would have said uh, George Crown would be a great prospect. I don't know if he's on that kind of track or PSA, uh, but, you know, James Flynn, obviously, and Matthew Toth that I have in Rochester, I think it's, you know, he, he could be a, a prospect if he decides he wants to do it. Uh, and there's a bunch of other guys that I don't want to kind of, uh, my apologies if I'm, if I'm omitting names, but there's a, you know, there's a bunch of other players that are, that are very talented. Uh, part of it is just, you know, getting started in PSA before they finish their college career, that's an important thing. There are some rules against that now with uh, in-college squash. Uh, you're restricted with the number of tournaments that you can play. Right. Um, and so, you know, it's about, I think getting that experience before they start, you know, I think that's going to be, that's going to help. And then it will also give them that little bit of springboard to say, okay, well, you know, you can do this, but, but it's tough. You know, you come out of, you know, you have an Ivy League school and, you know, you see all your friends going into, you know, investment banking jobs or hedge fund jobs or whatever it might be. And, and it's just kind of, you know, you might want to take that, that, that track. So, um, but you know, there's definitely potential. Put it that way. There's potential, and and we just need to harness it in some way. Yeah, definitely. Uh, one thing that stood out for me, aside from the Canadian uh, squads, uh, decent results were were the the American men and how they how they uh, managed to to win the team event. And uh, I had him on my my podcast a, a little while ago, Andrew uh, Douglas. And I, in yeah. preparing for for it, I noticed in the World Juniors he had won several sort of big matches uh like matches that would have uh that i think they won the team event in the in the world juniors one year and he was right. uh, it was his match that was a critical match and he came through in that way i think several times at the pan am games so i'm just wondering how how i mean you've seen him obviously in the at the collegiate level as well several times uh competing um how impressed are you with his game I mean, in terms of his competitiveness and his uh, and his focus, his drive, determination, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's second to none, and and that's really what you're trying to look for. With uh, you know, I'm sure the the program and in, in US squash should be they're incredibly happy with someone like him. Uh, a great prospect. Uh, in terms of his game, I mean, obviously, I think he could be. He's got some things to improve. He's he's definitely quite a defensive player. Mm-hmm. Um, but in t- but in terms of his competitiveness, that is, I mean, it's unbelievable. He just he's so feisty, so determined, and you know, really, and he looks as though he really wants it. So he'll he'll you know he'll keep on going in college and do well, get some big results, and then I'm sure he'll be playing PSA. Uh, they seem to the US course seem to have figured out uh, you know how to make this happen, how to how to help these athletes do this, and you know, give them that chance. Uh, so, you know, I think that's something that we obviously have to look at as well as well, how we're going to support these players uh, if they make that decision to, to play PSA. Uh, it seems to be a little bit easier. The resources in the U.S. squash are, are massive. Mm, uh, yeah. A tends to be quite a philanthropic culture as well. It's kind of natural to, to want to do that, to, to give to a non-profit and you know, get your tax break and feel like hey. you're doing yeah. good and yeah. So you know that's that's maybe something that we can do a little bit better uh, in Squash Canada is just is the you know focusing some fundraising and really try to make people excited about helping out these young players. Uh, so that is something I'm not involved in that, but in terms of like you know identifying that that's what we need to do, then you know that's that's obviously a huge thing. Yeah. So yeah, I know Steve yeah. Wren's obviously yeah. really keen on on you know taking on initiatives like that. I'm sure he'll be he'll jump on board with anything with regard to. Uh, to that kind of uh, that kind of thing, of course, yeah. No, Steve's got some great ideas, and and uh, you know, just identifying you know some of the costs as well. I mean, I remember a couple of years ago in the AGM that was he did a presentation, and you know, the cost of what it actually takes to to go through this process. I mean, obviously he had his, his sons come through, and and uh, so he you know he's. Uh, yeah, I mean, he's, he's got all the numbers there, and it's like, okay, this is not—it's not a cheap exercise to try to get your, you know, your your kids playing tournaments and traveling all over Canada and the states and maybe elsewhere. I mean, great experience, and that's obviously you're willing to take part of that cost. But it's definitely, you know, the cost build up over the years, and you know, at some point you feel like there's got to be something to pay off, or 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 you want the community to kind of help you get behind because it is ultimately good for Canada, it's good for Canadian sports, you have to success at the highest level. Yeah. Um, 
we'll, we'll wait and see. We'll wait and see how, how things transpire. But I think that's, uh, that is part of the strategy. And, mm. uh, and just, you know, just, and just congratulations to US Squash for, you know, just being, having an incredibly successful Pan Ams and, and also the way that they've done it as well. It's, it's, uh, they've managed to put it together and it's, it's very successful. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, also, I think this year has been a, a pretty successful year for, for Canadian professional squash, especially uh, for the women. Uh, and just before we move on, I just wanted to ask you about that. Uh, Danielle, Sam and uh, Holly, both, all, all three have had incredible pro seasons. And I'm just wondering, um, first of all, obviously, you're, you're impressed with the way they're, they're playing. Uh, what do you attribute to I guess this year, uh, the, the results that they've had this year, what do you attribute that to? And, and uh, what do you see going forward for the girls? Well, I mean, I think it's, uh, I think it was, a good, I mean, good season. I, I don't think you can say it was a great season. Uh, I mean, I think all three of those, I mean, Nikki Todd's, you know, I suppose you say she's number four in the team. I mean, she obviously had an injury the whole year. Uh, yeah. Okay. Fairly well-known thing on YouTube now was when she kind of did this uh, big split lunge in front right and ended up tearing uh, part of her hamstring. Whoa. And that was, yeah, that was, I mean, very tough for her. And uh, obviously she's, uh, her movement is a massive, massive part of her game. So, so that was disappointing from her point of view, but I'm sure she'll get it back. Uh, and for the three girls, like Danielle and, and uh, Sam and Holly, I mean, I think it's, so all three of them, Played some great matches. There definitely seemed to be improving all three of them. And um, but you know, again, all three just like some massive matches that they just didn't quite come through. Yeah, uh, that yeah. they could have won having match points and or been well up and then not quite clinching it. And, and so you know, that's and that's obviously part of this whole thing. I mean, you'll you'll see. I mean, that was one thing I noticed when I was playing is like the great competitors. I mean, even. You know, it's, it's, you know, you'd say, okay, well, that player is better than that player, but they're not going to be better than that player every day of the, of the year. And so even coming through some tough first rounds or coming through, like, you know, back then it was 15 scores, you know, 15-13 in the fifth, 15-14 in the fifth. But you tended to find that those guys would still come through, the great competitors, and the ones that eventually were going on into, like, semis and finals and winning tournaments. I and mean, they, were, they were coming through still these tough matches in the early rounds. And uh, so, and that's so. I would say that's probably. I mean, obviously, it's a process. You've got to keep on improving little bits and pieces here and there. And that's you know that's part of what I try and identify with them. And and you know, but you know, they've got their own coaches to help them do that too. Uh, but then there's that little the competitiveness and mm. the ability to be able the self belief and the drive and the focus to be able to clinch these big points. I mean, it seems like it's it was only one point, right, or one or two points, but those are the hardest ones to win. And so if, if they're going to change anything, I would say that's probably what they need to do is to, um, you know, just to, like have some, have some little belief and, and just drive. And it's like, that's, they work hard and they work hard and they commit themselves. And yeah. great. I think if all three of them came through a few of those matches, I think, in, I think all three of them would be 10 spots higher, at least in the rankings right now. Yeah. Uh, so, well, that's I mean, something that's, that, that's something like, uh, I mean, you can train, like a maniac, you 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 could be you could be doing circuit training like Paul Cole day in and day out. But at the end of the day, when you're at fourteen all, there, there's some, it's something else though, isn't it? It's uh, like you right. said, it's that uh, uh, that competitiveness or or something else that has to click in. And you obviously have to have the the understanding that you deserve this, you know, in, in some mm. ways that you you know you've put in the work, you know you deserve it, you've been there before. I've, I've lost a bunch of times in this situation. I'm not going to let it happen again. And you don't let it happen again. And that's, and it's a skill, right? Like anything else, it's a skill. Yeah. You know, being able to play those pressure moments. And, and it's one of the biggest skills in sport, actually, is like identifying those moments and then, and then being able to focus at the right time, make the right choices under pressure and, and have the belief and the will to make it happen. So, and that, and that can be in any way. Everyone plays the big points differently, right? So whatever that thing is for you, that's, and that's what you do. Some people put them all away. Some people make themselves impenetrable, and so they, and, you know. But it's like, but the will, the will is a big part of it. So, can, can so you I, coach that, Martin? Who are you? It's a good question. Uh, I mean, assuming that everything can be learned, it's a skill, so it can be learned. It's difficult to recreate that, and not in those kind of situations. Uh, so, yeah. I think it's I tend to think that it's a kind of one of those. Kind of, you know, preternatural, God-given kind of things because you see young players do. You identify it in young players and go, okay, well, that person's a winner, you know, so you kind of, you want to get behind them. 
Uh, but again, I think it's just a skill that people, some people learn earlier than others. And it's, uh, it's probably harder to learn later. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's certainly, I think it can be, it can be taught and learned. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, just moving on now, I mean, uh, Rochester, uh, you know, the Yellow Jackets, you've been the head coach there. Now, I'm not sure for how many years. How, how long have you uh, been in the role? 2005. 2005. Time, yeah, time flies, eh? <laughs> I know. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> so uh, I, last year you finished, uh, if I'm not mistaken, in the top four in the nation in, in, the, in the team event. You also yeah. had Ricardo Lopez, who won the, the prestigious uh, Heisman Trophy of Squash, the Skillman Award. And the name escapes me, but you had a first-team All-American as well, amongst other uh, uh, successes. So uh, 2018-19, Martin, for, for your, your varsity squash, uh, how was it in, in your estimation? I mean, I think it's, again, it's, you know, the, the yardstick is whether you play above yourself. I mean, and, you know, you, from the moment that you have, you know, the players until the moment that, you know, they compete their last match, you know, did they, did they play above themselves? You know, it's, like I say, there are certain restrictions in recruiting that, you know, we just don't have that same ability that someone like Harvard and even a lot of other teams have. So we always feel like we're punching above our weight in that regard when mm. we're when competing against them. So... Um, so it comes down to a few things, obviously, but it's, uh, you know, I think we got a few things right. No, and I was just not patting myself on the back here. I think that Ashley Davies, uh, he's, right. he's the yeah. player. He was number one. Uh, he's going to be captain this year. Uh, you know, I think his, his, his ability to be able to, you know, c- uh, convey his enthusiasm uh, to the other players and really hit, take it incredibly seriously. Uh, and he, and, you know, to be fair, I think he'd expect me to say this as well. I may be taking it sometimes too seriously, and I think he let his behaviour spill over a couple of times, which is obviously not in keeping with what college sports expects. Um, and I think that that's, you know, but that's a lot, you know, he's, he's such a nice guy and such a great competitor, really wants to win. Uh, kind of let that spill over a couple of times, which hopefully is not going to happen again. But right. that energy and enthusiasm just communicated to all the other players and everyone took it very seriously. And he was undefeated the whole year, uh, until the individual championship. I mean, that was where he beat every single person, like all wow. the number ones from the and, uh, and it just And that just inspired everyone else. And we had our, our other captain, Diego Porras, uh, El Salvadorian guy. Um, he was undefeated as well at number eight. So, you know, it was, mm-hmm. you know, you need those kind of things, you need those kind of players, the kind of, you know, the backstops, you know, the people that are just going to, you know, they're reliable and they inspire the other players to their best effort and have great attitude and, and, uh, you know, and we, I mean, that we're lucky getting both of these guys and obviously lucky having guys like uh, Ricardo. And, and to be fair, it's actually difficult to, you know, only identify these players. I mean, the team yeah. just pulled so well, all the players did great. And we, yeah, we had match points actually in, in the semi-final against Trinity. We beat them earlier on in the year. We had match points for the semi-final to make the final again, and we just didn't quite do it. Um, yeah. So, you know, it was a, it was a, since then, it kind of went a little bit downhill in terms of individual championship, but the effort the whole year and, and uh, you know, I couldn't have asked for any more from the oh, guys. for sure. I mean, to be competing, uh, to almost get to the final by beating Trinity and then having to compete against Harvard, I mean, you can't, uh, I mean, it doesn't get much uh, more challenging than that, does it? <laughs> no, I mean, it's, yeah, it was great. It was just such a great season and yeah. uh, really proud So that's got to be guys. satisfying for you, Martin. I mean, to bring that, that squad to that level. I mean, that, that's, that's impressive. Sure. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, initially, I suppose we, we did it. I mean, we, we kind of, you know, now we we're just kind of sustaining it. It's, uh, we know, we know the level that we can, we can compete at. I mean, and, uh, you know, with the resources that we have, we always feel as though we're kind of punching above our way. That's really my yardstick anyway. It's like, okay, well, we know the resources we have, let's, you know, and we, we still feel like we're punching above our weight most of the years that we do this. So, um, so that's really that's really what it is. It's such good fun. I mean, it's such good fun. I mean, it's really just incredibly lucky to be able to to do this uh, as a as a job. You know, it's just a really real privilege. All all of this stuff is a privilege, actually. Anytime you work in sport with committed people and you've got a goal, it's just it's such great fun. Yeah. Now, now, um, as you know, I, I had uh, Ryose Kobayashi on on the podcast, and you you were kind enough to help me uh, prepare for that one a, a little bit. And um, in one of one of the things you mentioned to me that you two sort of were, were at odds a couple times, or in terms of uh, 
his expectations and training and, and whatnot. And uh, I brought that up to uh, Paul Asciante when I spoke with him and just sort of wanted to know, uh, you know, as a jet, the general that he is and the experienced coach that he is, uh, how, you know, how he manages that kind of thing, especially in terms of a cultural uh, mm. uh, uh, problem, or I guess a cultural misunderstanding, I guess is what we're trying to say. And he was just saying, well, uh, I have to speak 10 different languages as a, as a coach. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and looking at your lineup, uh, it's basically what you have to do as well. So how do you uh, navigate those waters, uh, Martin? You've got 10 guys guys from 10 different countries on, on the squad, obviously what happened, uh, you know, the situations like what happened with Rio say, uh, are learning experiences and everyone comes out better. Uh, but, but in general, uh, how, how do you, uh, navigate those waters? So I suppose the, I don't know whether this is the easy way of doing it or not, but I mean, you can, you can have a very vertical organization where you know you're the leader you're the authoritarian and uh, and you know you kind of like dictate the way that things go and and that's just never been my the way that I've gone about this um, you know for better or for worse I mean sometimes I think that is what people have expected and and it's um, you know it's not what I can provide necessarily it's just not being my way it's not my way as a, as a coach it's not my way as a father you know, and I think there's, you know, there's mixed benefits to that, I suppose. Mm. Um, you know, you definitely want to be authoritative. You, you want your voice to be heard and, and, and respected. Uh, that's the minimum expectation. So I think, but I do open it up. I mean, I do have that kind of a little bit openness to it as well, is that they can dictate the culture a little bit within certain parameters, obviously, in terms of behavior and respect. And, you know, and as, as long as you identify the values that you have, you know, as a team and the values you expect the team to have, then there's a lot of flexibility beyond, you know, in terms of how they want to operate. Um, and I think that's, that's something that I've become a little bit easier as a coach over the last couple of years, maybe just a little bit more experience, uh, you know, identifying those big things like, it's like, okay, these are non-negotiable, everything else is negotiable. And yes. I've well, what's a non-negotiable, for example? Well, just values. Show up values. on time. Show up on time, have respect for your, for your teammates, have respect for your opponent, have respect for your coach, have respect for the whole, like what you're doing there. I mean, respect for the whole environment. For the game. Yeah. For the game, uh, for college squash, for the, for the institution. Um, you know, and so, and so that, and there are certain behaviors that go along with that kind of respect. Um, and that's, you know, so that is a, that is a minimum level uh, of expectation. And, uh, you know, I don't know how else I would, you know, integrity, you definitely want that. I'm not one of these people. I don't like the whole kind of fishing thing or any of that kind of stuff. Yeah, I was yeah, never really yeah. that as a player. And no. I understand that there's, you know, you're in a competitive environment when you're on court. And it's just like, well, look, that's, you know, it, it doesn't fit with the environment here. Um, and so, and it doesn't fit with my values, to be honest with you. So I actually don't like that. I don't like when, when my players do that. And I, and I definitely try to stamp that out as much as possible. And that's something that's not necessarily, it's not against the rules or anything like that, but it's, it's one of my values. And, and so, I, you know, the thing that I've heard back is from the players is that they appreciate that. You know, it's something that we don't necessarily get recognized for that, you know, in the kind of college squash world. Yeah, it seems like uh, as a fraternity, uh, in terms of the squash coaches that are out there, and I could be wrong here, but it just seems like most of, or probably all of you guys uh, uh, have that same general uh, approach. Yeah, I mean, there's one, in, there's one or two, right? I mean, there's one or yeah. two that I... Without naming names. When I, <laughs> yeah, right, cool. I don't necessarily control their players. Like, you know, the inmates are running the, the prison kind of thing. I mean, that's... I mean, that has definitely happened. And, you know, the values of those particular players have overtaken whatever values, you know, you expect from a mm. college sport. And so that's a little bit disappointing when, you know, you're kind of trying to compete against that and you're trying to uphold, you know, certain values and you don't really want to compromise those, but, but yet yeah, you have to take the hit and you don't want to be have sour grapes and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, you know, and I think that's part of this environment is that, you know, you know what, life is complicated. You know, you are going to have to make certain, you know, decisions in real life. But in this environment, you know, you've got to practice these things. You've got to practice having integrity. You've got to practice, you know, making the right decisions and trying to have that. That's important. That's like, that's actually an important thing to have integrity and, and to live your life like that. Oh, and, for sure. Um, so, and I think this is what this environment is really about, is to practice those things. It's like, yeah, you know what, you can, you can go and become a, you know, a class action lawyer and, you know, you're going to have to pull every dirty trick in the book later on in your life. 
and you kind of want to have a little bit of that practice. You've got to understand the environment that you're in. Um, but at the same time, you want the ability to, when things really matter, is to, is to you know, in the, in the rest of your life, you, you want to operate in the, in the best possible way. Yeah. And uh, I think that's really part of what this process provides is that it's a pressure environment where you get to practice these things and you want to make the right decisions. And, and, uh, and I think that, you know, we're, we're obviously haven't been perfect, but we try to do that as much as, as possible. I mean, that, and that is really what this whole thing is about. That's why varsity sport is supported uh, in, by, in each of the colleges. It's not, okay, there's a bit of a shop window thing. You want your, you know, want to promote uh, you know, have the college in, in the best possible way and uh, you want to create something that gets the student body going and engage alumni and things like that. But really at a core level, it's an educational process and yeah. uh, try to practice these kind of things. So, you know, it doesn't, it's, yeah, it's a little bit about the winning and the losing. You don't, you want to win as much as you possibly can, but at its core, that's not really what it's about. So you just want to, if you're going to win, you want to do it in the right possible way. And, uh, and that's something that I think that we, we definitely try to, we think about, we try to do it. Uh, obviously there are compromises, but you know, that's just, you know, try to do that as much as you can. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and at the end of the day, when, the, when these guys graduate and when they look back at their, their time spent with you, I mean, you want, to, you want them to, you want to have had a, an impact uh, in a positive way on, on them in the future, right? Of course, of yeah. course, yeah. And that's the feedback that I'm starting to get. You know, it's, you know, it's the, which is very, very nice. It's actually I haven't had a lot of it up until now. Uh, maybe yeah. I haven't been that good at it. I've been going through my own learning. Well, it's, I mean, I, I guess it's just a natural, uh, over the course of time, those things just sort of hit home a, a little bit later, maybe. Yeah. Maybe, maybe later that's on. true. But, so. Yeah, now, j just getting back to that, the... Uh, what I mentioned about the, the 10, yeah, you had 10 different, uh, I guess around 10 different nationalities on the squad, on your squad. And that seems to be almost the case across the board for mo most of the programs. Wouldn't you, would you agree that that's sort of in, in terms of uh, presenting squash as a global sport, which is something maybe uh, the Olympic, uh, in terms of the Olympic committee, wouldn't that be sort of a representative of, ju of just how, uh, global the game truly is I mean when you're when you're recruiting players for your team from around the world meanwhile you've got probably a basketball you might have two or three different countries representative represented foot uh, uh, so, do, you, do you know what I'm getting at here yeah yeah so yeah. I mean I think what you're saying is that is it is the, is that rep, is that a good kind of microcosm of yeah. the squash world that we absolutely so, yeah of course. I mean, I think that's what it is. I mean, I was always of the view and I think maybe, you know, I kind of keep on repeating myself about this thing, but it's, um, you know, I think that's what I tried to do when I first came in here. It was like, okay, let's try to have this. Let's try to have the most diverse group of people that we possibly can, because that was one of the best experiences that I had on the PSA tour was just interacting with all these different people and, uh, you know, with, with different values and different culture. And diff mm. and I think that's, that's something that it's uh, a, that we definitely have on the team. And that's one of the reasons why I don't try and impose a, a culture is, is that, you know, or you, you know, beyond the kind of big things, beyond the big fundamental value things, you don't try and impose too much of a culture. You want to let them kind of figure out a little bit as well, you know, and how they yeah. interact with each other. And, and, you know, you tend to find, I mean, it is one of the kind of, you know, that's the thing about diversity. It's like, okay, you've got every kind of visible diversity, but you don't really have diversity of thought or speech or anything like that. And that's, that's I suppose that's the criticism of, you know, a lot of that kind of way of thinking, that multicultural diversity kind of dogma. Yeah. Um, that, so, you know, and I try to kind of help, help facilitate conversation and people getting to know each other. And if someone's got opinions that are, you know, slightly, you know, you, what you kind of wouldn't expect, it was like, okay, well, actually, you know what, that's actually a good thing. Let's engage that, you know, it's, that's how, you know, these bus rides that you have or, or car rides that you have and you have these conversations like, yeah, you know, you don't want to force that person too much into what you think necessarily. It's like, hear it out, you know, hear it out from that perspective. It's a good thing. So, and, and what I see actually is that that's a helpful process. Like being able to, to you know, engage with, with different cultures and, and different ideas and not judge them too harshly. And, but yeah, but yet have a rational argument and try to figure this out. And so you see that the smarter guys that are, on the team, they they do that, and it's and it's wonderful. I mean, it's just such a wonderful thing to be able to witness that and 
uh, when you see this, you know, five, six hour conversations that you're having, you know, so there's a downside <laughs> yeah. in Rochester having to travel, you know, seven hours down to Princeton or whatever. But the upside is that you do have these moments where, where you know, just you have this kind of stuff happen and then you really bond. And, and that's actually where a lot of this stuff happens. That's where a lot of this bonding happens. And that's why the players are staying in touch with each other later. And, you know, it's a community, right? So it's... You know, I think that's that's big part of it as well. You know, it's a big part of that whole diversity thing. It's not just how you look or anything like that. And you know, the visible uh, thing is how they all interact with each other and figure out. Yeah. So basically, you you just let it shape itself. Uh, is is what it's you're saying? Way. Yeah. Yeah. Beyond beyond the big things, beyond the non-negotiable things. I think that's it. And so you know, you're talking about Riosi and how he had a certain expectation. And so, and you know, he wanted everything to be like clock. He wanted everything to be like amps. <laughs> you know what? You talk too much. You're, you pull us off court. Like you know, we have water breaks. You should be timing water. You should be timing everything. You should be timing yeah, water break. Yeah. You tell us what you need. You know, and then I had, I'm like, oh, okay, that's that's tough. You know, to get told that, but it's like I adapted to it. And then eventually, it's like, well, well, that's not my way, and it's actually not. It's not as efficient as you think it is. And then you find a kind of happy medium to it. Right. And so if I, if I didn't do that, if I if I was just the guy that said, no, you know, screw it, I've got more experience than you, you listen to me, then I wouldn't have learned there. And so I actually learned a little bit yeah. you know, by doing that. And it's like, you know, you, and you do risk a little bit of your authority, I suppose, if you try and adapt too much, uh, you know, to what, you know, essentially young kids are telling you. But then again, the other, you know, flip side is if you don't listen, you lose a bit of respect as well. Yeah. So there are these little moments and I actually try to encourage that. It's like, okay, I feel like I know quite a lot about this game. Uh, you know, so, but so challenge me on it. I think I've got an answer for it. Uh, and you, you do end up, you know, learning. I probably learn more about that kind of stuff, about organization and about, you know, how to go about structure and practices. And, you know, certainly the way that you talk to people is a massive, massive part of coaching. Oh, yeah. It's not just information. It's, you know, how you manage to get that point across and the way that they can understand at that moment um, or even just to shut your mouth, right? And just to kind of let, let them do the talking and let them kind of figure it out. You know, there's, there's different ways of going about this, but it's, uh, I'm certainly not an expert on this kind of stuff. And, well, obviously, I mean, your players know your background and know who you are. So they've, you've automatically got their respect right away. And then obviously you're, you're a great coach and, and uh, they respect that as well. So uh, it's got to be sort of a, that's got to help you in a lot of ways as well. Knowing that, that, that you have this, uh, this great background in the game at the professional, at the highest level that they know that you have. I mean, I think so. I mean, I, yeah. I, I mean, I, don't, I think that's obviously true uh, in some regards. I mean, but you do, you obviously have to prove it as well. I mean, yeah. it's, uh, it, it tends to be that if you, the, you know, you'll get more people listening to you if you identify the alphas, you know, in the group, uh, and you get their respect, and then they, then you'll naturally get respect from everyone else. Uh, so I think that's kind of because they'll they'll follow the alphas, right? Uh, right? So there's little things like little dynamics like that that you kind of want to be aware of, and and you know if you get it right, then it can go very well. And I think last year was one of the years that went very very well actually. That's from that point of view, and that's that's kind of what you want to try and achieve. But that's it's not right. always. I mean, that's just the way it goes. I mean, some years it's tough, you know, it's, and, uh, so yeah, I guess and when you recruit, when you, when you do your recruiting, you really don't know what you're going to, what you're going to get until, you know, things start to play out. Yeah. Right. That's true. That's true. And, uh, you know, but there is that little bit, I mean, you naturally, you know, you, you, you naturally, at least this is the way that I look at it, you naturally kind of want to help that person. You, and even if you're yeah. not, you know, your personality is, you know, wouldn't ordinarily get on. Like you, you care for that person. You want them to do well. You want them to kind of get the most out of this experience and, and then try and learn, you know, some pretty good lessons as well and make, and make good friendships and things like that and have, have those pressure moments that are kind of telling that will help your character. They, or help you practice certain attributes that like you want all of those things for those people and and so you naturally care about them i mean i think that's it so whoever it is and whatever personality they have and whatever their you know their particular values and opinions all these kind of things it doesn't really matter that much is that because you naturally that that phase is all that thing has already been broken it's like yeah i'm i'm here to help you this is what this is all about 
And so that, if you approach it like that, it seems to be, it, it feels as though that's, as long as they know that, then it feels as though everything runs fairly smoothly. And, and that's the way that you can cope with a lot of different types of, of people uh, is because they, you, you, you're there for them. That's, that's really what it is. Hmm. Yeah. Now, um, now, Martin, I'd be remiss if I didn't uh, look back a little bit at, at your, your, uh, your playing career, which I followed very carefully because that, that was uh, a golden, the golden years, I think, uh, back in the, uh, your generation, JP, Peter, John White and boys, Dave Palmer. Um, I just had Jonathan actually on, on the podcast and, and I asked him about his, uh, the, the intensity of the rivalry between him and Peter, especially in the early years, and, and he didn't hold back uh, as you would have, might imagine. <laughs> but uh, you obviously had your own uh, special relationship with Peter. Um, you you managed to get, I think it might have been your first win against him at, at the prestigious Al Haram Al Haram mm-hmm. tournament in 1998, with, and then you got to the final of that event. Then you also beat him again in the TOC, but it wasn't such a happy. Uh, you, you didn't have such great results. Uh, prior to that but you had a, a bit of a you have a, a long history uh with him so can you give us a little bit of background about your your relationship with, with peter over the years and uh, obviously what it was like to to get that, that that big win against him in such a big event in 1998 i mean the first thing the first thing that's obvious is that it's uh, i mean i've just got a massive amount of respect i mean and that's something that you do have with all the guys that you compete with and you know, whether you've got a you know, winning record or not against them. I mean, you just have, you know, it's such a, a nice feeling when you finish. It's just like, like yeah, you, you know, you've, you've fought with each other and, you know, and sometimes you haven't been the best of friends and you've, you know, you've been, you know, nose to nose, and, but you respect them. I mean, there's such a huge amount of respect that I have for all of those guys that you mentioned and, and more yeah. for going through that process. And, and, uh, and hopefully the feeling is the same. And I think that's the way that it is actually between a lot of these people. You put your, you know, your heart and your soul and you work really hard and you, you, know, you have disappointments, you ante up again and you, and you try again and you make yourself better. And, and uh, so there's, you know, there's a first, massive amount of respect. And with Peter, I mean, just huge amount of respect in terms of you know, the, what he achieved. And, and uh, you, know, you could see it from when he was nine years old, 10 years old. I mean, that was just he was always going to be a successful player, yeah. uh, you know, just that kind of focus. And his dad was very focused and, you know, and that was maybe a little bit, I mean, from my point of view anyway, it's just, you see that relationship and how that played out as a kid. You know, well, there's, there are parallels there with, with JP as well then, isn't there? A little bit, a little bit. I don't know. I mean, I've, I've heard that about John. I mean, John to me is just one of the nicest guys that you could meet, uh, you know, but supposedly he was quite hard on Jonathan when he was younger. But, and you know, I remember yeah. if I would beat Peter, in junior tournaments, like he wouldn't come to the prize game and his dad would be kind of talking to him in a back room somewhere. And, and, uh, you know, sorry, Peter, if that's you know, too personal, but I think that's, that, you know, that you see that and you see that with a lot of the top performers that they actually are, you know, they do have high expectations from when they're very, very young, you know, it's just a natural thing to kind of feed into to the winners. There's no other option but to win. And so Peter had that and that was, uh, so, but then actually to go ahead and, and he essentially, he ended Jancher's reign. I mean, that's actually, yeah. it wasn't, there wasn't anyone else. It was Peter that ended Gancher's reign. He was the guy that had the audacity, uh, you know, when all the referees were giving him, you know, any straight drive anyone hit, Gancher was just pushing yeah. the ball against the ball and getting a stroke. I mean, it's, and he's obviously a phenomenal player, but as he got older, it was, uh, you know, he did, get, he probably kind of, you know, had, had a lot of the run of the, the decisions and, you know, dictated the way that the game was going to be played. Uh, and so Peter was the guy that he had the courage and the belief to go, no, screw this. Like, I'm going to beat him and I'm going to do it this yeah. way. And, uh, and he did it. And he did it a bunch of times. And, uh, and that was what, and then once he did it, then it was like, oh, well, maybe Jonathan can beat him too. And then maybe, uh, you know, and Ronnie Earls can be, you know, that was really what it was. It was, it was that he finished. He laid the groundwork. Yeah, and uh, and you know that that kind of audacity, the self belief, and then the determination, and the ability to execute, you know, just incredibly impressive to watch that process. And uh, you know, to because it's hard; it's not that easy to kind of, you know, to you know see your idols play against them and then end their career. I mean, that's yeah. not an easy thing at all. I don't know whether it's easier now, you know, just because there's less, you know, through social media and like you know everyone seems to be there's not really that kind of. 
um, idolatry that still exists, I don't think. I mean, I could be completely wrong about that. I've been wrong about many things, but, but, it's, but you know, it, seemed, it felt as though back there, Janshi was this kind of austere character, came from northern Pakistan, would come in the day before the tournament, you know, didn't really speak to many people. He was just <laughs> phenomenally good. Yeah. And it's just like this, he had this little glow about him, but it was just, it was tough to penetrate. And, uh, and he always won. And, uh, and it was just- Ram, people, Rami may have had that a little bit. Probably a little bit, but he was such a personable guy. Yeah. Uh, such yeah. a nice guy, Rami, that it's, uh, you know, he, he just would just, it seems as though he would just kind of like freeze people off the court just by his shots. And it was incredible. Yeah. Uh, whereas Jackson was just kind of better. He was just better at everything. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Yeah. Better, he could throw the ball better, he could block better, he could fish for strokes better, he could, uh, his ability to use the whole court and anticipate was was better. I mean, he was just a better player than everyone else. And Peter just through sheer will and determination and hard work uh, managed to do it. So, you know, there's a massive, massive amount of respect for, for what he achieved. And, and uh, you know, it really doesn't get, it's kind of weird to think that that guy doesn't get that much respect from the players that are around now. That's mm. odd. I mean, that's the, that's the like a lack of information as a lack of knowledge yeah, yeah. to 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 kind of think that yeah. um because he no, was the dominant. yeah he dominated the game uh uh for several years there he was num uh, so definitely like, yeah you see him play you see him play now you see him on court like in videos or whatever it's like okay he doesn't look that good you know you'll have someone say oh he doesn't look that good i remember someone said uh, like a current egyptian player said to me you know barada was just not that good it's like you know what, buddy? You try playing him in front of 5,000 people in Egypt when his song that's number one in the charts is playing as he comes on court when the ref is <laughs> and he's like, he's putting sweat in the ball and blah, blah, blah. You know, yeah. you try and play it. It's not squash. It's just, it's a, it's a war. Yeah, and, what, was uh, that, what was that move that he'd always, uh, he got a few people with it. He'd stick his, uh, he, in the front court, stick his right leg out after hitting a, a drop shot or something. And then was it JP oh, yeah. fell over and all, I think Peter did too. No, I mean it was it was incredible. <laughs> I mean, you think back, it was actually incredible. I mean, just the, you know, again, it was one of those situations where it's like, like, what's this guy doing? I was like, it's just, it's not. This is not in the values that we grew up to think is like how you operate in sport. Yeah. Uh, but but you know, it was also phenomenally good as well. He could put oh, yeah. the ball away. Yeah. He yeah. you know, just it was this wall. It was just a wall. You just couldn't get through, and he would just force you into awkward positions and. And, uh, you know, and there were, you know, there was a way to play him. And Peter Nickel figured, figured that out uh, as well. Uh, you know, just kept everything high and tight and straight. And he really didn't give them anything to kind of, nothing where he could get it, get in the way. And, uh, I, you know, I beat him, but I didn't figure it out that well, to be honest with you. I had to play phenomenally well to beat him. Um, but Well, you, you know, did Well, you did beat, you're talking about Peter, right? I'm talking about Barada. Barada, yeah. Anyway, yeah. The point I'm making is that I think there's a lot of, you know, they, it seems as though they, you know, the players nowadays, they look back at these players, they just don't give them that much respect. It's like, ah, it's just, that's just not, the, that's not accurate. No. I, think I mean, for, for them to say that about Barada, I mean, look at, look at the competition back then. I mean, he, he was getting, he had the results against all, all those guys. So, yeah, that's um, right. yeah. yeah definitely. But, um, but I mean, get, getting back to Peter and you, 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 you did beat him in 1998 and again, in uh, 2000, and I do remember the Al Haram event when you when you beat him there. It was a very emotional uh, time for you. So, if you don't mind, uh, what what did that win uh, uh, against Peter in that event mean to you? I mean, it was kind of. Uh, I suppose it was felt like it was a long time coming. I mean, it was it was definitely you know when he went to become pro and became successful. I was still studying in Glasgow, and so you know it was just kind of you know following his career in some way, and so he just became a natural. A kind of benchmark for me and if he wasn't that successful I don't know whether I would have been that successful to be honest with you and right. but he became a target and uh, so that was and so that, that was I suppose a process right that was a process from like 94 you know through to 98 where it was just learning you know learning the game like you know and just you know and I was and it was I mean I was kind of iconoclastic I did it myself and so it took me it took me a while to learn I didn't have this grounding and then boom like released onto the circuit it took me a few years to learn about how I was going to do it and so that was a, like a culmination. You beat the number one in the world in the biggest stage. And at that point, it was the biggest tournament in the world. And that was really what I wanted to do. That was, I wanted those moments. And, um, you know, and I think, yeah, that was just rewards uh, at that moment. So it was kind of emotional, disappointing not to win in the final, I suppose. But, and then the next year, I felt as though I completely dominated them in the world 
championship semi-final and uh, he just came out with some unbelievable shots at the right time and in a couple of games after being well down and and that was you know again that was probably my time if I was ever going to be world champion that was the moment it was going to be because it wasn't a it wasn't a championship in I think 2000 2001 there wasn't a world championship and so those would have been theoretically my best years and yeah. and I wasn't that yeah. guy that was going to be okay you know all of, a lot of the guys that did reach number one I have a winning record against like, like Johnny White and Palmer and Shabana people like that uh, Beachel, Willstrop, uh, they all reached number one I didn't um, but it's uh you know, I was I just didn't wasn't that kind of guy. Just in terms of physically, mentally, I wasn't going to be number one. But what I could do in a big moment is I could beat the best players in the, in the big moments. And, yeah. and uh, you know, so that probably was you know those those were my moments, I suppose. You know, those big times and uh, and yeah, I was thought I could have got a world championship. It didn't quite happen. <laughs> well, yeah, you had a great career. I mean, in, in that time, like we we were talking about earlier, it was a golden era. And uh, something that, that that JP and I talked about was that we you really don't see, you know, the you do see some really great squash. Don't get me wrong nowadays, but you don't see those those really tough uh, battles that you used to get where the guys. It, it just seemed like uh, we're fighting tooth and nail for every point. They do now, but it just. You don't have the the confrontation, the the battles between personalities that uh, existed back uh, during your time, during when you played. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's. I mean, I have huge respect for the players that are around now. I think the game has changed. Uh, I think some yeah. things for the better, some things not for the better. I mean, I think it's just one. And I think you've identified one of the things that's maybe like we've lost a little bit is that kind of, you know, that real kind of like gut wrenching determination and fighting and. And that was definitely some. And you know, to be fair, like the, the the era before me, the Rodney Martins and people like mm. that, the Chris Robertson, Chris Dittmar. I mean, those guys were fighters, man. I mean, they Rod, were, I mean Rodney they, Isles. He he was a guy. I thought, Jesus Christ, this guy would go through, run through the wall to. Yeah, and they, and they, <laughs> so they thought our era was soft. You know, yeah, so yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> now it's like, okay, yeah. well. Yeah, I mean, if what you're saying is actually correct in terms of like that that kind of determination and, and fight, and uh, in, you know, but then, but you know, before our generation, they were they were like that even more. So, mm. you know, you kind of like, and that was part of it. It was it was part of the game at that at that time. It seems to be a little bit more, you know. I think I think everyone's got their trainer now. Everyone's got a psychologist and nutritionist and their team around them and. Yeah, uh, you know, I think there's it's uh, it's definitely more of a science now than it than it was like kind of balls to the wall, kind of you know trying to figure it all out and battling like crazy. Um, yeah. Well, one thing know, JP had mentioned, which I I agree with, was that uh, there there there's a lot more friend. It's it's more friendly on court these days. Right. You know, guys are applauding each other's shots at on on court during in the middle of a match. But I, I mean, I uh, I attribute that to the it could be just simply the fact that. Uh, there are so many Egyptians uh, playing each other. I mean, they're all going to, you know, best men at, at their weddings and, and stuff like that. Uh, I mean, so that's bound to happen, isn't it? And I think, if, I mean, I, I would say that plays a part. I mean, if you look at what was the World Championship semi-final, Tarek Momem against Shobagi, I think that's what it was. I, you know, you look at that and you think, okay, if Tarek actually had, if he had a little bit more fight and they weren't quite as good friends or they were able to dispense with the friendship momentarily when they went on court, I think he would have got that match. I think he yeah. would have been in the final world championship with a chance to win it. And I think, you know, you look at things like that and it's like, okay, well, you know, yeah, you definitely gain some things with this because, and you see it in tennis as well. There's so much respect. The guys are hugging each other, you know, after the match and all that kind of and it is nice. I mean, it's kind of like you definitely want that kind of respect. And, yeah. Um, you know, but there's, do you lose something in that process as well? And I would say the guys that do it well uh, are the ones that are successful. The guys like Ali Craig and Shabagi, and they're able to, you know, be friendly, but also to kind of go, right, okay, I've got a job to do. And yeah. nothing's in the way of that. And those are the guys that are actually still successful, I think. So I think how you approach it is is important. As long as you've got the ability to be able to kind of like get focused at the right moment. And ultimately, that's you're a competitor. When you walk on court, you're a competitor. I mean, that's what you're trying to do. And again, you're trying to operate within a certain value system and some parameters, the rule parameters. And of course, that's the way that it goes. Uh, but don't sacrifice the things that you don't need to sacrifice, you know, just for the sake of friendliness. I think that I think that's probably not a not a bad way of looking at it. And um, but 
you know, I don't know. Is it is it better or is it worse? I have no idea. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's great to see them. You know, it's great to see the the sportsmanship part of it, and you also yeah. don't see as much uh, banter with the referee. Although that that's always entertaining. Uh, mm-hmm. but, uh, it, uh, it's also with the technology as well, isn't it? With the, with the way they've, uh, with the officiating, the way that's evolved. Yeah. And, you know, and again, it's one of those things that they, you know, the, the game was changed a little bit to be able to, but then obviously everyone adapts and, and they're just gaming this new version of events, you know, which is, you know, there's such a fine line between a lit and a, uh, between a no lit and a stroke yeah. in the front corner. Can you uh, figure yeah. that out? I don't <laughs> I think well so what happens is that naturally the guys game it you know so naturally what you know one guy that's coming out will will game his position the guy coming in will game his you know will try to kind of like you know mimic uh, you know they're ready to play the ball and a stroke and all that kind of stuff so you know you do you do tend to find that that's irrespective of what the rules are because it's going to be gamed anyway so I don't, again I don't know what I think it's better I think it's I think they've done a nice job uh, but there are a couple little things that are still so subjective and, and that are just, I mean, I would say even more subjective now than, than they used to be. If you can go from a no-let and a stroke, you know, so, and it's, and it's literally what one referee will give us a no-let, another referee will give us a stroke in the front corners. I mean, that's, it's a little bit, it's kind of a little bit of randomness thrown in there. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know. That's, yeah, that's just the way it is, I guess. We're going to have to uh, live with it. Still, we have a great game, so... Uh, live with it no, of just, course. yeah well Martin this you've been a- you've been really great with your time uh just want to wish you all, all the best with with Rochester and continued uh success and progress with the uh with the elite program for squash Canada um uh, anything else you want to uh before you go anything you, any parting words for the for the listeners I mean I'll I'll just keep on talking so you better stop and asking the questions now <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, appreciate I'll anything you want. That's it. I'll get myself in a lot of trouble, but uh, <laughs> no, I, I appreciate uh, the chat, Jerry, and I appreciate talking about the you know the Pan Ams and how well the Canadians did there. I think that's uh, that it was nice to be able to acknowledge the effort that those guys and girls put in and the, the rewards that they're getting, and and uh, so you know hopefully hopefully long may that continue. Absolutely. Well, thanks a lot, Martin, and uh, let's do it again. All right. Cheers, Jerry. Well, that was awesome. Thanks again so much, Martin, for for doing that. Really, really uh, insightful stuff on all aspects uh, of the game, the the Pan Am games all the way through to uh, his career and his uh, relationship uh, with the players, especially uh, with uh, Peter Nickel over over the years and how he impacted his game. Really good stuff there. So uh, thanks again, Martin, and we hope to have him back on uh, soon. I know Squash Canada is very excited to... uh, to be to have had him in that role uh, in the capacity of the elite program director, so uh, hopefully, hopefully things continue to go well there, and uh, Squash Canada, Squash in Canada, can reap the benefits as they have up until now. I know the players love uh, having Martin around. The, the, I've spoken to uh, every one of the players that I've uh, spoken to. All the Canadians uh, have nothing but uh, incredible things to say about Martin. So uh, keep up the good work there. Go Canada! And uh, just before I sign off today, uh, I just created a uh, Patreon. I think that's a Patreon account. Uh, As you know, uh, these podcasts are free. I've gotten up to uh, episode 100, but uh, I just figured why not uh, put together some sort of... uh, thing where if you want to donate uh, a bit of uh, money uh, uh, for you know once uh, every so often it doesn't have to be regular it could be just a one-off uh, just to help uh, cover costs and keep this thing going for free uh, actually I haven't invested too much into the podcast uh, I did purchase a, uh, a very nice uh, microphone here but uh, it's just time and effort and uh, I don't expect um, any contributions uh, uh, that's not not something that I'm into. I don't have any sponsors. I've reached out to a couple and have, you know, gotten a few, some some uh, bites coming back. But uh, at any rate, I just figured, uh, you know, if you're interested in donating uh, to the podcast, just to keep it uh, keep things going, and uh, you know, if I have to invest anything uh, into it over the years, which I do, I. I I do invest in, in the website, uh, monthly payments and things, uh, things like that. It's not, uh, it doesn't amount to much, but it does, I guess, over time it does. So after uh, 
maybe 100 episodes. That might help uh, offset the costs for that. But, uh, you know, uh, at any rate, it's always going to be free. So, again, thanks for everybody for listening. If you're, if you're interested in donating, though, I'll be posting stuff on uh, how to do so on uh, the Facebook page on my in squash podcast page and perhaps on the twitter page i won't deluge you with emails on that i'll just send it out uh once or every so often just as a reminder but uh at any rate again everyone thank you so much for for listening uh really appreciate it we've got some great episodes upcoming including uh, a coaching uh episode with jesse engelbrick and gary nesbitt which should be great in the lead up to all of our uh, squash seasons uh in the fall um, and how to top maybe we'll get into how to top up that uh, summer training that we're all into or at least some of us are uh, personally myself I, I had a bit of a hip injury recently a bit it's a bit scary hopefully it doesn't require anything uh, related to surgery but uh, I think it's coming around now I'm feeling a bit better but um, I might have to have it looked at uh, I'll hit back I'll head back into some some hard training I think next week but, uh, yeah, the age is catching up. you got to, uh, I guess, once you hit the age of 50, you have to be uh, a little more sort of careful in terms of how much you bite off when you, uh, you know, how hard you're running, how many sprints you're doing. Uh, you got to be a bit more uh, careful in, with that regard. As I found out um, the other day when I, uh, when I attempted to, to do some uh, sprints in, in, the, uh, in the hills behind my parents' home in Canada, uh, did not, uh, the next day was, I was not feeling good and, um, yeah, it took me off of, uh, my plan to, to train hard for the next few weeks. So, uh, at any rate, uh, I hope all of you are okay. I'll, I'm on the mend, so I'm hoping, uh, you know, things will, uh, be back to normal next week. Uh, hope things are all going well for you though. Take care. Thanks again for listening and, uh, we'll talk to you again soon. Goodbye now.